Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Fireside Podcast, where we use story to better engage culture, equip the church, and to glorify God. I'm Houston. I'm Jeremiah. And I'm Clayton. All right, and here we are two days after Valentine's Day, which by the time this podcast is live, it will be a full week after Valentine's Day. And so we are hitting you with a very relevant topic of love. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Yes. Yeah. Don't hurt me. Before we started recording, Clayton was singing that very loudly in my left ear. He liked it. I won't say what I did and didn't like. (laughs) So what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about love as a story device. Oh, yeah. We're going to talk about love as the object of a story. We're going to talk about stories and love, obviously, here in the Fireside Podcast. And so we had this mission for the past week to prepare ourselves for today. And What does that even mean? Well, apparently none of us know. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> because we've not come quite as prepared. It's a, it's a tough subject, I think, to, to talk about story with. I think we tackled a, a relatively difficult subject right off the bat. Not to talk about in general. I think love is an easy topic to talk about in general. But as a story device, I think it's tricky. Because oh, yeah, the first thing... I see what you're saying. Yeah, so yeah. the first thing that always comes to my mind is romantic comedies. Mm-hmm. Which are easily the worst representation of love <laughs> or that Disney? exist. Yeah. I, I think old, old Disney stories, old the, Disney the stories newer ones are more like redemptive and yes, I disagree. I know yeah. you disagree Clayton because Jordan Peterson disagrees. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? He can have his, uh, well, who's his professor? Oh, uh, sweet. Jordan Peterson. Peterson. Uh, one day I'll find my spirit professor and, <laughs> And uh, we'll have a true discussion between three people who are not in the room. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, uh, Disney is notorious for, at least in the past, telling love stories where there is a big problem, such as Sleeping Beauty, for example. Mm. She's cursed by a witch, and the only thing that can break the curse of the witch is true love's kiss, right? Isn't that what it That's is? That's correct. So... What we've learned here is that Sleeping Beauty is incapable of taking care of herself, and she needs a lover to come rescue her, rescue right. her, cure her with the kiss. Same with stories like yeah, Rapunzel. Clayton, I, I get what you're saying. You're trying to connect to Christ. We get that, but Christ didn't save us with a kiss. Well, I think John Mark no one would uh, disagree with that. <laughs> he did write "Sloppy Wet Kiss" and how he loves us. Right, and then David Crowder very specifically yeah, said. That's a no-go. Well, you know. Is I'm this... okay with a sloppy wet kiss. So our goal here today is to uh, engage the culture concept of love through the story of the Bible and through stories in the Bible. And we're going to try to talk about this in a way that's, uh, of course, educational, engages culture, and, you know, in a, in a way that we hope is glorifying to God, just, you know, in line with our, our mission tag. Well, I think Clayton said this last time or the time before, that... You can know a culture better by listening to its stories. Mm-hmm. And our stories are movies. And so the the stories that our culture are telling are whatever movies are on the big screen. And Disney, I think, is a very representative. I think Disney is a very representative storyteller for our culture. I think Disney always is kind of on the forefront of what we appreciate as a culture. I think it's, you know, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It's kind of, it's not telling that two-generation old stories, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's really telling the stories that our generation is, is dealing with, I think. 
All right. So what is what is the this concept of love that Disney is telling us? Yeah. What, what is this type of love? So probably in the past few years, the Disney movies that have been expressly about love are Tangled, Up, Up, the beginning of Up is a love story. Mm-hmm. Does that count? Absolutely. I mean, I would even say that like the beginning of Big Hero Six, like there's always like a tragedy or like Frozen, you know, like there's all these. Yeah. There's a love connection between the tragedy. Um, and yeah. And you know, even at the end of Frozen, you have the love story of who is it? Uh, I can't remember the characters' names. Spins trainer person, not Elsa, but the other girl. Anna. Anna and the other guy and the guy Hans Hans no yes I think Hans no that doesn't sound right but maybe no. it is maybe it is maybe not we suck at Disney no Sven Sven is the Sven's Sven the blonde hair no, guy Sven yeah. is the the reindeer. reindeer no the reindeer is it's um, Sven no I promise it is Sven shoot because, anyway if my niece yeah. was here she could tell us all of exactly. this for sure my five year old knows it yeah, which is a good point. It, the children are are listening to these stories and watching the movies. What are they What are they learning from them? Mm-hmm. Right. Frozen is probably maybe one of the better examples because all of the problems in the world are not solved by a relationship. Right. They're solved by sisters, you know, reconnecting by by restoring familial relationships. Right. So if anything, I mean, Frozen might be a better example of love. But but I think I. What you said earlier really hit me that there's always this tragedy that happens at the beginning of a movie, right? And it's connected to love. Mm-hmm. So up, his you know the whole intro to the movie is focused on us introducing that this main character and his wife were very much in love, and then they had this dream, and it's her passing that it's her passing that pushes him into following their dream, and so he is he's acting because of his love for her hmm. right mm-hmm. so so in movies love is a motivator and it's also the goal right so if we look at back the older movies um if we look back at say sleeping beauty again love is the goal it is the save uh love is the salvation we would argue it's not so much this Christian concept of love, it's very much marriage, right? Maybe, in fact, maybe that's a better way to put it. In a lot of Disney movies, marriage is the object, not so much love, not so much true love, not so much blah, blah, blah. They say true love, but really it's marriage that's the that's the end goal, right? Marriage is the thing that Sleeping Beauty is trying to attain. A good husband is what's going to save her mm-hmm. having a good husband being married well, it's so a lot of it's a lot of rags to riches stories too though in that like the reason why they're wanting to get married is because it kind of pulls them out of the situation or maybe that's not the reason but that's kind of like the the outcome of what happens like with cinderella for instance she has a rags to riches story mm-hmm. um with snow white kind of the same thing like um but i think that also kind of defines what the culture was at the time like these stories are being made because they represent like what culture was dealing with at the time or like um these like cultural concepts of like okay so the american dream right that was Mm -hmm. like alive and big back back when all these older 
Disney movies were made. So you, it, it's a rag to riches thing for, mm-hmm. for a lot of people to, to live the American dream. So I think a lot of these ideas are predicated in Disney movies. Okay, so um, that's that's interesting. So there's, I, I guess you would say, three ways that love is used in Disney movies. It's either the motivator to kickstart the, the story. It's either the end goal in which the whole story is going towards love. Or it's the avenue to which people attain the goal, right? So in Cinderella, you're saying love is the way that she moves out of poverty into wealth mm-hmm. or the at least the idea of love sure. pursuing the idea of love is what brings her mm-hmm. out of her situation yeah which wow that has a lot of theological implications in that statement sure the pursuit of love is what brings you out of your situation sure um, yeah so what i was thinking coming into this podcast was our culture and its definition of love is completely out of sync with the Christian understanding of love, mm-hmm. and that that what their what culture is proposing is a type of love that maybe the Greeks had a, a concept of, but what we do not no longer have. That we have this overarching, general, basic understanding of love, and we're selling love short. And so I think that's what I was wanting to talk about. Is this, what, what type of, take it back to the Greek, what type of Greek love is our culture displaying more of? Or are they, is our culture displaying all forms of the love, but in different avenues, or different different ways? And so by the Greek love, you're talking about the four types of love. Yeah. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Four Loves. And in it, he proposes this idea that in the Greek culture, they had four words for love, that instead of, in our culture, like Clayton was saying, we use one word to map over this whole this whole very broad concept. They had four distinct words, which each touched on aspects of it, of love. Of what we call love, yeah. So these four words were called... Actually, no, this looks like he's saying different things. Wait, well, okay, oh, here we so C.S. Lewis has his right. own words, I think. In his, in his book, I think he has... He uses four other words... He, like English words yes, to, he, to describe them. He breaks down the four words that we refer to even further. So yeah. the first is what you are saying earlier, storge, which is an empathy bond. Um, so this is liking someone through the fondness of familiarity. Family members are people who relate in familiar ways Excuse me, that have otherwise found themselves bonded by chance. An example is the natural love and affection of a parent for their child. Yeah, that's why I said storge was probably the least important one. See, or not the least important. It, it doesn't. It shouldn't be the least important one, though, right? Because when when God explains Himself to us, He He says, "I'm your Father." He explains Himself as a Father. So this, to me, it's interesting because this seems like it should be the most important one. Mm-hmm. It should be the one that connects with people. When when Jesus comes and He says, "Love your Father in heaven," and your Father in heaven loves you, why doesn't He say, "Storge"? Instead, He says, "Agape." So yeah. I think that's that's interesting because he, he he could touch on this concept of of paternal love that's already built into the minds of the the Greeks. Mm-hmm. I think I think storge is especially important in our culture today, with the divorce rate being insanely high. I mean, a lot of people don't believe that they have a good father. I mean, I'm I'm one of those people. 
I mean, my parents got a divorce and there's a lot of things that happened in my life that my father just essentially screwed me over. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's kind of what happened. And so like that type of love is what draws me even closer to God, knowing that I actually have a good father, mm-hmm. you know, so that like connection makes yeah. a lot more sense with me. And I, I could see that being relevant for a lot of other people. I mean, good, good father is a song that's really popular right now. It, it's, I, it's popular and it's not unique. Mm-hmm. It's not especially, you know, well written. I'm not saying it's poorly written, but it's it's not complex. It's it's just right. You're a good father. I'm loved by you. Right. Right. That's that's the gist of that whole song. And I think a lot of people need to hear that. Right. Sure. But maybe the reason why when Jesus comes on the scene and he says your father in heaven loves you, maybe the reason why he doesn't use this store gay is because it is tainted. Because we've got poor love from fathers. We've got a we've got a poor example. So maybe he has to draw on this other love. Which, according to Kenny Bowles in our, uh, what is it, where does he say this? On his website. Have you ever read any of his website stuff? Um, so according to Kenny Bowles' website, which I'll put a link in the description if it's still up, he had little papers, miniature papers that he wrote on different Greek words and processing them. Um, for those of you who don't know, Kenny Bowles is a professor here in Ozark. Uh, sorry, he's a professor at Ozark here in town. And he is just one of the most prolific Greek scholars. scholars. Yeah, thank you. He's one of the most prolific Greek scholars in our area. And he wrote little papers on different Greek words to help us process understanding. And one of the things he said is that the word agape was rarely used before Jesus came and used it. And so he actually hijacked this word for love and ascribed meaning to it. That this, this word had not been used in popular culture nearly to the extent that we use it now even. He had this opportunity that there's this fourth love word to take and use and ascribe meaning to it, which it's interesting because it's not too far off from what he used it for, but it had not been used much. So again, that, that word is agape, and that's that's the word that we speak of when we talk about God loving us. Um, C.S. Lewis calls it the love that exists regardless of changing circumstances. And just on a quick side note, just to touch on the other two, they are eros yes. and philia or philia uh, philia yeah, yeah can't uh, philia that. is a friend bond it's the love between friends yeah. as close as siblings in strength and duration so philia is the word often used when we talk about love in the abstract sense uh, referring to ancient times it's why we use philia as meaning a lover of something this is where we get the word philosophy philia Sophia. Sophia is wisdom. Philia is love. Love of wisdom. Philosophy is love of wisdom. Is the whole idea. So this is this is the word that survived, I think, the the most to represent love in ancient culture. Philia. Uh, and like Clayton was saying, the fourth word is eros, which is a sexual type of love, like the Greek god eros. So connecting all that, now that we got the four basic types of Greek loves, where does our culture exhibit those? And I think that the Eros is the first place that our culture exhibits love. And it's primarily from this this one that we're getting our, our definition of love. I think you're exactly right there. And I think the way that we see that is that when we watch movies or we watch TV, when we read books, sex is synonymous with love in a lot of scenarios. Mm-hmm. We talked about seeing beauty being an example of Eros being the salvation of the woman that this marriage, that so on and so forth, is what saved her. I think a, a perfect 
biblical foil to that would be the story of Ruth. Because at first glance in the story of Ruth, it seems like Boaz saves Ruth by marrying her, right? It seems like, and I've, I've heard this so many times, Ruth is not a love story, people will say. And I agree, but also disagree. What I love, what I absolutely adore about the story of Ruth is that it is, in fact, a love story. But it's not a love story between Boaz and Ruth. It's not a love story between a man and a woman. It is pure and simple, a love story between God and his people. What I love about Ruth is, first of all, that it's a great example of Christ coming to save us. But Boaz saves Ruth not because he marries her, but because he follows the law. And the law actually has provisions for taking care of people. And so what I love in the story of Ruth is that Ruth is a perfect example of how the law of the Lord was actually grace too. Which I think is what Romans is touching on a lot. Exactly. Paul says, well, then what shall we say? That the law is sin? Absolutely not. Paul understands better than most the graces of the law. He he says that we can't live by the law, that 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 we all fail it. And so, we you know, we have to have something to save us. Right, our Boaz has to come save us, our Christ. But Ruth and Naomi, as they go throughout the book, they are saved time and time again by the laws set in the set in place by the Lord. They're fed because they follow after Boaz's workers and and pick up the grains that they leave on the ground, and so they're able to eat that day. And why did Boaz's workers do that? Because the law strictly prohibited picking up what you drop as you're harvesting. Why did he do that? Because the Lord knew that there would be the poor and the destitute in the land, and that they would have to have means of of feeding themselves too. And what I think is so interesting is that every chapter in Ruth, Ruth and Naomi are saved by the Lord's law. Even when it comes down to Boaz marrying Ruth to reclaim their land, he is simply enacting the law. He's sim- he, he is pure and simple being an agent of the law. So it's interesting that you bring up Ruth and Boaz, who is a type of a marriage that happens. And I think that our culture... Did you hear that? Okay, I'm sorry. (laughs) Something weird happened. I don't know. I don't know either. So it's interesting that you brought up Ruth and Boaz, which is a form of marriage, and how our uh, marriage is today in this culture are based off of these types of four uh, loves. And depending on the type of love that marriage exhibits, is how long it's going to last. And I think that the, the first one is eros, which is the sexual type of love. And I think this uh, type of love is defined in this statement, that love, the eros love, is I'll love you if. I'll love you if you do this for me. I'll love you if you keep fulfilling me. Mm-hmm. And this is the first type of love that does not last very long because it's short. It's a it's a con- it's a contract love that I'll love my wife as long as she's doing something for me, which is not what we're what that's not what marriage is about. That's not the Christian foundational marriage. And so I think Disney connects these these types of the, this type of love to marriage most dramatically that w- as little kids we're taught that you know a a little girl thinks that if the right guy comes to love me then I'm fulfilled and little boys are taught I just have to go save the little girl or the woman 
and then she'll love me back. And so it's all of these conditional ifs, which is not what love it, what not what fulfilling love is. Which, if I can just tag onto that, what I think is really interesting is I've been listening to Norse mythology lately, but that's that's a, a huge theme in Norse mythology. Is anytime there's two people who come together, it's because he saved her or he did some heroic feat for her, and they just came together and they loved each other. But so I've been thinking about that and how what a, what a poor picture that paints that that's the whole love story, right? But what I think people used to do back in the day is they used to first of all romanticize it they used to romanticize the 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 union the coming together it's a it's a point of celebration we understand that for sure but the other thing i think is that they understood it was it was understood in the culture that the real test is to come you don't see divorce rates in antiquity anywhere close to what they are today and so I think I think you're exactly right the stories are teaching us that it's this eros love that's what binds you together but I think what's left out is the assumption that they have that it is a lifelong commitment and that it, it's work and you just make it work, right? Mm. But they don't focus on that because I think that's the assumption. I think we've lost that because we've only looked at that union. We've only looked at that point in time. And so now we're left with the long-term consequences of our actions and we've not prepared for that. Does that make sense? Sure. So I just wanted to tag on there because I think you're exactly right that that's where our culture is showing. And I think that's what culture has shown throughout all of history, right? But I think that's more speaking about where the interesting part of the story is. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think that's more speaking about where the interesting part of the story is, not so much what the culture believes. I think that's an extension of a portion of what the culture believes and the rest is assumption. So, and I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt that, but I think that's, I think you're exactly right because... I think when we tell stories today, we look exclusively at the story and we let the story encompass the entirety of the situation. Does that make sense? I'm a little lost on that right there. Okay. But. Okay. Um, do you know what I'm trying to say though? So, you, I mean, you said that the hero has to come save the woman and that that's all it takes for them to be together. I, I think back then they had fewer concepts of compatibility and fewer concepts of, are you a good fit? And they just assumed anyone was a good fit. And it's that whole wooing which brings you together. And the assumption is that you stay together from then on. That it's that it's a true union, a bonding. I mean, what I was wanting to say is like how it fails. How it fails is that because it's this contractual agreement, I'll do this if you do this, and then she'll do this if I do that. Well, then that type of contract is always going to end. Because one person is always going to feel cheated from the, 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 the conditional statements that they're making. And then all of a sudden they're going to give less. And then the other person's going to notice. And then they're going to give less. And mm -hmm. so then it just crumbles. And, mm -hmm. like, and it only lasts you know, one to three years that this love, this type of love, it just doesn't last because of that. They just feel cheated. And because it is. It's, a, it's, a, it's not a complete form of love. And uh, what I was just saying is that, you know, in... in stories of antiquity we we see that part because that's the exciting part the the eros love yeah it's it's hot it's hot for the minute yeah yeah and then what the story story assumes in antiquity is that then they go on to develop this lasting relationship but this is what brings them together initially sure sure which we don't have that this no we don't 
this is what brings you together, and this is what keeps you together. This is what keeps you together. Right, because we've lost the concept of... Lie. Right, exactly. Because we've lost the concept of working to hold together. Yes. Yeah. And, I mean, so the next one, which I, which I was wanting to talk about, is the... I can never say it. It's the phileo. It's the... Philia. Philia. Jeez. I can never say it. Um, And this one, so the Eros is, I'll love you if. The Philia is... I'll love you because. Mm. And it's these markers that you're looking for. It's these identifying characteristics that a person wants, and you're going to go find that person out there. And so this is in our culture as well, I think. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So I want uh, I want a smart girl who's good looking, um, you know, can shoot a rifle. She, I, you know, I want all of it. I want all of the things. <laughs> Clayton's a good old boy. Yeah, right. Well, if you think <laughs> of all the words that end in philia, I mean, it's someone specifically going out and pursuing something. Yeah, something specific. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're going out to pursue something specific. Mm-hmm. And so then there's a connection made between those two people because they like this and I like that too, and we're together. And and so a marriage can form out of that type of love as well. And I think the issue though is is that. These, these types of love, this type of love can last longer than Eros because it's centered not so much on the self. It's, it's focused on external things. But the, the issue is, is that over time, no single person loves the same external things as forever. Mm-hmm. The, the things that you are looking for in that person is going to change. I, you know, a person's not going to always be beautiful, mm-hmm. you know. And so or what happens when, interests or, or, you know, she person may not always be interested in the same thing. Mm-hmm. So what happens when that person falls out of favor? Well, then, then we start to have issues. There's no commitment. Yes. In that regard. And I think the way that this plays out the most in our culture is the phrase, that's not the person I married. Exactly. Right. I, that, not that phrase gives me chills because it's, it's so antithetical to, marriage and love i believe and the answer to that question is it's not the same person you married yes exactly because we all grow and we all change especially if we're believers we expect that growing and changing must be a part of it so the man i married you know just to be fun he used to be exciting now he's boring and dull and what have you well mm-hmm. it's because that man has three kids now instead of no kids and that man has you know, a, a doctor's appointment or, yeah. every month because he has to get a checkup for something that's bad. Yeah. And so he's yeah. a little bit depressed. And so this this type of love is in the in the long term isn't as is any better off than Eros. It just lasts a little bit longer. Sure. Kinsey likes to watch this my wife Kinsey likes to watch the show called One Tree Hill, which was a I've watched them all. Oh my do all of them? I've watched them all. Oh, man. Um, my wife sucks me into these shows. Sucks you in, so you chose to keep watching yeah, them. Yeah. Oh, man. In. They're bad. The same with Gilmore Girls. They're man. so I've Okay, no, no, okay no, no, no. No. Let's be clear. Fantastic. Gilmore, Gilmore Girls is much on a completely different level. Gilmore Girls addresses the issue of, of identity apart from relationship. 
which I appreciate very mm-hmm. much. Mm-hmm. And there are good male role models in that show. Sure. I I will stand on this soapbox and say that Luke is a good guy. Oh, he is. Yeah, and he is I someone agree. that you should admire this is just going in way some over my head right now. I I know. But anyways, this this is completely this is a complete aside. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so my wife loves this show called One Tree Hill, and if you've not seen it, it is a 90s early 2000s, I'm not sure when, teen drama. And I remember it's in one of the later seasons when all the characters have moved on, grown up, gotten married, so on and so forth. So one of the characters um, decides to divorce her husband because, quote, he's not the man I married anymore. And I thought it was so interesting that one of the other, her sister comes to her and says, that's not okay. Because people change. People have the right to change. And she says back, yeah, but they also have the right not to change. And so the... The, the show gets behind her to some degree. I mean, how much they, how much the show supports this, I don't know. I don't care. But the show gets to get behind her to some degree to say that if he's not making you happy anymore, if he's not the man you married, if he isn't what you want him to be, you have the right to walk away from this relationship. And I think that's exactly what you're saying about this filet of love, is that when you don't have the characteristics that I love, I don't love you. Yes. Mm-hmm. And they're relating love to being happy. Yes. Oh, God. Yes. This whole concept of happy that is embedded in our minds from very young with Happy Meals at McDonald's. (laughs) (laughs) What's happy about a Happy Meal? Not much. I mean, it's a box that has some food in it and a million calories. (laughs) A million calories, yeah. Fat and happy. That's how it's Happy Meal. There's nothing happy about that. Yeah, I think it's marketed well. Yes. And love is, is marketed well in our society. Yes. Their concept of love. Love is what makes you happy. Yes, exactly. Yeah. We'll call it the happy meal syndrome. Yes. And I think anytime when we synonymize happiness with goodness, we're in danger. And anytime we say that love is no longer love if it doesn't make us happy, I think we're in extreme danger. Say that last one again. I was thinking about the first one. I think... Anytime we synonymize love with happiness, we're in extreme danger. Yes. Which, are you going to touch on Storge? I'm not going to touch on Storge because I think it's just kind of a a mixture between of them all and focused particularly on family. Okay. And so it doesn't work very well with marriage, I don't think. Yeah. Or, I don't, see, I don't, I haven't done too much research on Storge. Maybe it is. The very definition of marriage. I've I've heard both ways. Yeah. So that's why I don't want to really touch on it. And I just wanted to get to agape. Right. Well, if I think you know, just to make a quick example, I think. How often do you see, parents divorce when their children are out of the house, and and this I think touches on the phileo love that you're talking about too. Yeah. But, also this loving your child is what keeps you married to your spouse is kind of the child, the the parental love is the, the gluing bond between the marriage. Yeah. And um, so as soon as that glue is removed. Yeah. That lasts 18 years, right? Lasts 18 years. Yep. So the, so, so the agape one, obviously as we touched on a little bit, it's the love that we should be embodying as Christians and as husbands and wives. Uh, it's this love that sticks it out that it's a love that's this this 
guttural love that no matter what happens, I'm going to love this person. And it doesn't come like necessarily from emotions mm-hmm. or, or characteristics. It's not based on something else. It's totally this love that's you know from within towards another person, sacrificial love. And I think the this is um, as you talked about. This is what the Bible talks about when, when God says, you know, He loves us. I think you hit it right on the head when you said that it's not an emotional thing. You can love someone with this agape love, and love them emotionally. But I think it's not exclusively emotions, right? True love is not an emotion, and and you know we hear this all the time that that love is action not emotion, mm-hmm. right? So agape love, love is a verb. Love is a verb. Yes, thank you. Love love is a verb. So when you love someone, it is not necessarily a reflection of your current emotions. All right, guys, that's all the time we have for today. We're going to continue the subject next week, and I'm really excited to talk about how love is an overarching theme that connects the Old Testament to the New. It's interesting because in my research I found that the Hebrew language has multiple words for love, like the Greeks did, and had similar connections. And we can talk about that again next week. But we just want to leave with this idea that we're talking about love in the Bible and that it's not a concept exclusive to the New Testament. You know, we touched on Ruth earlier, but again, this is this is an overarching theme that connects the old to the new. Last week we talked about redemption. What is the motive for redemption? It's love. I like it. Again, thank you so much for joining us. Shorter episode today, but join us next week when we talk about love in the Old Testament. Thanks, guys.